Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor Dana continues our series on 40 Days of Discipleship with a look at forgiveness. Let's listen. This morning, we are continuing on in our sermon series on discipleship. And more specifically, we'll be talking about forgiveness, how forgiveness is a big part of our role as disciples of Christ, and how there is power in forgiveness. Now, we know that forgiveness is talked about throughout Scripture, but there exists a lot of debate by Bible scholars on how many instances forgiveness shows up in Scripture. Bible scholars are all over the map on trying to pinpoint the exact number of times that this word forgiveness shows up in Scripture. So before I give you the answer, I want you to think about how many times you think forgiveness shows up throughout the Bible. You can write it down on your bulletin insert, but just try to bring to mind the number of times that you think forgiveness shows up. Well, the answer is, it depends. (laughs) It depends on which translation of the Bible you are using. If you're using the King James Version of Scripture, then the word forgiveness shows up 95 times. If you're looking at the English Standard Version, it shows up 109 times. In the Contemporary English Version, the word forgiveness shows up 206 times. So there's a wide range of instances that forgiveness will show up depending on which Bible translation you are using. Now we might not be able to all agree on the exact number of times that forgiveness shows up in the Bible, but I think we can all agree that forgiveness is a big part of our beliefs as Christians. It's an important part of our role as a disciple of Christ. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're reminded that as disciples of Christ, we are called to forgive in just the same way that Christ forgives each of us. In a conversation with Peter and Jesus, Jesus reminds Peter that you're not to forgive just once or twice, you're to forgive up to 77 times. As disciples of Christ, we are told to not let the sun go down with anger in our hearts or harboring resentment, i.e. we're not to go to bed mad and unforgiving. Forgiveness is a big part of our role as disciples of Christ. Forgiving often, forgiving those who trespass against us, forgiving those who have inflicted harm upon us and have wounded us. As you know from your own personal lives and your own personal experiences, forgiveness can be hard at times. Sometimes we have to work really hard at forgiving a person, which leaves us wondering, how do we do it? How do we forgive a person 77 times? How do we forgive a person who has really hurt us, harmed us, or harmed a family member? As we grapple with those questions this morning and wrestle with how we can truly forgive a person, then I thought that we would look at one of the greatest examples of forgiveness that we see in Scripture. I thought that we would look at the story of Joseph and unpack how Joseph was able to forgive his brothers for what they did to him 
at such a young age. Now, the story of Joseph is a long one. It starts out in Genesis 37. It goes to Genesis 50. There are 14 chapters in the book of Genesis that are devoted to the Joseph story. So clearly, we cannot walk through all of that this morning. So I am going to give you the very concise, condensed, cliff notes version of Joseph's story. So starting at the beginning, Joseph had 11 brothers. When Joseph was a young boy, Joseph's brothers hated him. They were envious of him. They were jealous of how much their father Jacob loved and favored Joseph. Joseph's father loved him so much that he made Joseph this beautiful coat of many colors. He didn't make a coat for any of the other brothers. So obviously, this made his brothers hate him even more. On top of that, Joseph would sit with his brothers, and he would recount these dreams that he was having, dreams of how he was powerful and ruling over his brothers. Obviously, that led to more anger and animosity. So the brothers plotted against Joseph. They decided that they were going to throw him into a pit, and so they did. And as they were walking home, they passed by some Ishmaelites, and they realized that they could actually make a profit off their brother. They could sell him into slavery. So they go and get him out of the pit, and then they sell Joseph into slavery. They go back home, and they tell their father that Joseph was attacked by a wild animal, that Joseph didn't survive that attack. And so their father is breaking down and mourning his son's passing. And many, many years pass. And then Joseph comes face to face with his brothers again. Now we're going to pause Joseph's story right there. Because we just covered about nine chapters. We just went Genesis 37 to Genesis 45. And in those nine chapters, there is a lot more than what I'm able to detail for you this morning And so I encourage you to go back and to comb through those chapters. There is a lot of good and interesting information in there. But ultimately, from the time that Joseph was sold into slavery until the point that he sees his brothers again, 22 years passed. He spent several years living in prison. He spent years working as a slave and as a servant. He was a servant for Potiphar. It was actually while he was working as Potiphar's servant that he was able to kind of rise to the top. In the end, he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. In the end, it becomes a tale of success. It is quite a tale of success where Joseph rises to the top. He overcomes hardship and adversity. Now, even though Joseph's story turns out well, where he rises in power... It's still a tragic tale in many senses. It's tragic in the sense that Joseph spent so many years separated from his father, whom he loved and adored. It's tragic in the sense that he had such tarnished relationships with his siblings. It's tragic in the sense that he spent time in prison, that he spent time working as a servant, as a slave. During those years that Joseph was confined in prison, During those years where he worked as a slave, that could have been an occasion for a slow burn of fury to ignite in his heart, which could have erupted into an explosion of anger when he first saw his brothers. However, at the initial sighting 
of his brothers, at the very moment Joseph lays eyes on them, he does the complete opposite of what we might have expected. Instead of acting out of revenge, resentment, hostility, or bitterness, Joseph demonstrates mercy, kindness, love. He demonstrates forgiveness. Genesis chapter 45, this is where Joseph comes face to face with his brothers again after 22 years. Those verses say, He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. At the initial sight of his brothers, Joseph breaks down. He is weeping. He is weeping so loud that it echoes all throughout that household. And then he approached his brothers. He approached his brothers and told them to not be distressed, to not be angry about what they did, to not carry with themselves guilt and shame. Joseph chose to extend forgiveness. But what he did next is even more astonishing. He not only forgave his brothers, but he told them that he was going to take them in, that he was going to take care of them. The rest of Genesis 45 goes on to say, For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have, I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. At this point, the famine had already um, been in play for two years. Joseph knew that they didn't have what they needed to survive the rest of the famine. And so he told them to gather everything they had, all of their children and grandchildren, all of their livestock, and to bring it all back to Egypt. He promised to take them in, to give them what they needed so that they could survive the rest of the famine, so they wouldn't live in poverty or destitute. Joseph could have crushed his brothers. He could have tortured them. He could have repaid them for what they did to him. He was powerful enough to do so. But instead, he chose to forgive them. He chose to extend mercy and kindness. He chose to extend grace and love. For most of us, we would not have responded the same way that Joseph did. We would have struggled with forgiving our siblings. I don't know if I could take someone into my home that had sold me into slavery. 
that had caused me to go and live in prison. And so I think it leaves all of us wondering and questioning, how did he do that? How did he look his brothers in their eyes after such an atrocity and forgive them? And I think the answer to that question lies somewhere in the middle of Joseph's story. It lies somewhere in between the point when he was sold into slavery and until he came face to face with his brothers again. Honestly, I think the answer has a lot to do with the fact that he spent 22 years separated from his family. He spent that time grieving and mourning, unpacking what had occurred. And gradually, over time, that is what gave way for forgiveness to take root in his heart. Throughout those 22 years, there are several instances in Scripture that detail Joseph grieving what had happened. In Genesis chapter 42, we are told of a time when Joseph is in some crowds and he has to run away very quickly so he can weep and mourn privately. In Genesis chapter 43, we're told of how Joseph is performing servant duties. He's serving a meal and he completely breaks down. He has to step away from the table And he later comes back after he has composed himself. I am sure throughout those 22 years that there were many instances in which he was grieving and processing what his brothers had done to him. And inch by inch, little by little, forgiveness was slowly able to creep into his heart and to take root. Forgiveness is a hard thing to accomplish at times. It is hard to truly forgive a person that has wronged us, to forgive a person who has inflicted harm upon us or upon a family member. And oftentimes, forgiveness doesn't seem practical. It doesn't even seem rational. Forgiveness can seem like a distant reality, like a nice idea on a Sunday morning. But when we choose to not forgive, That is when the resentment, the bitterness, the anger takes root in our hearts. That is when we let the pain and the anger have all the power. And it burrows into our bones and it eventually furrows into our souls. And we start acting and responding out of those wounds. And when we allow that to happen, we are only hurting ourselves. As we take some time to contemplate that a little bit further, how harboring anger, resentment, unforgiveness only harms ourselves, then I wanted to share a story with you all. It's a story about the Tower of London. The Tower of London, as you may or may not be aware, is a royal palace, a historical castle located in central London. This is a picture of that palace during the day. It is this beautiful, massive, stunning fortress and palace. It has a long history of not just being a palace, but also being a prison at times. For 500 years, monarchs used this secure castle to guard royal possessions and even royal family during times of war and rebellion. Throughout those years, kings and queens would imprison their rivals within the walls of this fortress. 
In fact, the oldest part of the Tower of London, there is something referred to as the Little Ease. The Little Ease is an old dungeon, and ironically, it is situated within this palace just below the Chapel of St. John. This infamous dungeon was a torture cell between the 13th century to the 16th century. The reason that it's called the Little Ease is due to its tiny size. It measures just four feet by four feet. Its cramped size prevents the prisoners within it from lying down or standing up. They basically have to sit hunched over. Furthermore, this is a windowless cell, so you're in constant blackness. So those who are being confined to this cell and are being tortured, they were forced to crouch into solitary confinement for days, even up to a week before they were released and then further interrogated. Frederick Buchner, he was a famous theologian, a Presbyterian minister. He talks about this dungeon, the Little Ease, and he draws parallels between this dungeon and unforgiveness. And he does so in this way. He says, its oak door blocks out all light and all ventilation. It measures only four feet square and four feet high. There is no way either to stand upright in it or to lie down at full length. We know it as the little ease, but to live an unforgiving life of restricted mercy is to live in that dark, airless, crippling place where there is no ease at all in that place where we feel only our wounds, where we hear only our hearts beat with rage. He says, it is in that place where we will be damned before we forgive and forget. And that is exactly what we are. There is no escape from bitterness, hatred, and violence. No chance for healing and peace without forgiveness. Unresolved anger will only lead us further down this road of hostility and revenge. Forgiveness, on the other hand, will lead us to liberation, freedom, reconciliation. Forgiveness will lead us to a life of peace. Joseph's story is the pinnacle of what it looks like to forgive, to free yourself from anger, to free yourself from bitterness and resentment. When Joseph saw his brothers after 22 years, he fell on his brother's neck. He hugged him and he wept. He wept so loudly that those tears billowed through that house. They were tears of love. They were tears of grace. They were tears of mercy and acceptance. They were tears of forgiveness. His actions still to this day, they leave us puzzled and wondering, how did he do that? How in the world was he able to choose grace and forgiveness? We've already identified from Joseph's story one way that he was able to do that, that it takes time. It takes time to heal. It perhaps took Joseph every minute of those 22 years for forgiveness to truly take root in his heart. But so what do we do in the meantime? What do we do if we don't have 22 years to work on forgiving a person? What do we do if we just don't have the words of forgiveness? And I believe that is when we turn to Jesus' example. I believe that we turn to Christ 
dying on the cross for both my sins and your sins, when he cried out, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Those were Jesus' very last words, his very last testament, perhaps his very last teaching. Jesus knew that forgiveness was the only way to experience spiritual and emotional freedom. Jesus knew that there was power in forgiveness. He also knew that forgiveness was not a natural or human impulse when we are hurt and wounded, which is why I believe he left us with these words. He left them for us so that we could fall back on them, so that we could rely on them when we falter in forgiving a person or when we can't find our own words of forgiveness. Jesus' words give us a starting point. They give us something to hold on to, to reach for, until we can find our own words. We know that forgiveness is not an easy task. But if we say that some acts are just too much to forgive, then we renounce God's infinite love and grace that he possesses for each of us. If we refuse to forgive because the cost is too big for our pride or our well-being, then we reject the ultimate cost that Christ paid for each of us on that cross. And it's at that point that we place ourselves in that dark, airless, crippling prison cell where we're doing nothing more but torturing ourselves. The Archbishop Desmond Tutu once preached, forgiving means abandoning your right to pay back the perpetrator in his own coin, but it is a loss that liberates the victim. Hearing this, when Nelson Mandela became the first black president in South Africa, it was this very quote that motivated him and compelled him to seek reconciliation instead of revenge to year end years of apartheid. Forgiveness is difficult, it is complicated, it is gritty, but there is power in it. Forgiveness does not mean that we necessarily forgive our perpetrator and then go back to living in a loving relationship with that individual. In some instances, we are going to forgive a person and then we're going to need to walk away from them forever. Forgiveness does not mean that we tolerate cruel or life-threatening behavior or that we forget brutalities that should be remembered so that we can learn from them and not repeat them. Forgiveness in its most simplest form, it means that we simply don't let the anger, the hurt, the pain have all the power and take root in our hearts. So let us remember in those moments when forgiveness is the furthest thing from your heart and mind, when it is a far distant reality and it just seems like a nice idea on a Sunday morning to choose it anyways. Choose to free yourself from the dark, airless, crippling prison cell. And when you cannot find your own words of forgiveness, then rely on the words that Christ left each of us. His words when he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Amen.
Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week. Thank you.